Greetings and welcome to another episode of Marshmallow Sunday Pie, a show where two bumbling brothers couldn't even agree on an intro, so this is what you get. My name is Love, and I'm here once again with my brother and co-host Logan. What are we drinking tonight, brother? Uh, tonight we're drinking a cocktail of my own design. I call it a Mexican candy cocktail. It starts with a habanero-infused whiskey sour that you substitute half part simple syrup or ancho chili liqueur and add a half part of spicy tamarind vodka shaken well. Man, I love Mexican candy, and this tastes one-to-one like Mexican candy. I mean, just the vodka alone is delicious. I'm glad to hear it, brother. Well, let's go ahead and cheers to a better episode. And cheers to wishful thinking. All right. <laughs> All right, so first I just wanted to apologize for taking a little longer to get this episode out. Uh, I got COVID. It sucked, but I am feeling better, and uh, we really wanted to get this out prior to my wife and I going on our honeymoon to Ireland. Well, I'm not jealous about the COVID, but I'm jealous about the Ireland, brother. That sounds that sounds like a lot of fun. I'm glad you're doing better, though. I appreciate it. It's gonna be a blast. So, what are we? What's the topic for tonight, brother? Uh, so we're gonna do something a little different tonight. Instead of our typical back and forth episode, we're gonna do something that we're gonna go ahead and call story time. For story now. time. Uh, it's gonna be about a subject that I find particularly interesting. It's gonna be Aleister Crowley and his delvings into the occult. Oh, man. Yeah, we talked about Crowley last episode, didn't we? We did, and that's kind of what prompted <laughs> this. Uh, we talked about Crowley setting up shop on the uh, lock, so we will actually yeah. get into that here as yeah. well. Yeah. I knew, I knew once we started talking about occultists, this is what you're going to go full head of steam on. I, I just, I love <laughs> it. Nothing, nothing really quite matches the interest of the occult. Just the mysticism and intrigue and... Yeah, especially the early 1900s, late 1800s, early 1900s, the occult world was uh, completely different than it is now. Yeah, um, oh, I bet. You can get away with a lot more and <laughs> shroud yourself you in a really lot more could. interesting. <laughs> you, you really could just give yourself new names. Yeah, too. yeah, you could yeah. just show up somewhere. I mean, you could tell somebody that you got magic going on and you do a little trick and they'd never be the wiser. Well, we'll see even in this episode, uh, Aleister Crowley and some of his companions just like to start giving themselves new names. Um from uh, lords of Scotland to English nobles or uh, Russian diplomats. They just kind of uh, go with whatever they feel like. Wow. Do you think that's like personality disorder or do you think it's just all their clever plot? I think it has a lot to do with the fact that they see themselves a lot more than they really are. I don't think it's a personality disorder so much as it is uh, wanting to be something bigger. That makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, well, back then, even though it wasn't that long ago, that was still a time where you had to be born with a title or you just weren't much in the world. Or you could just say you had a title. Exactly, yeah. Or just... I mean, that's the easier way to go, <laughs> apparently. Yeah. So we'll go ahead and jump into it. So Alistair Crowley, his actual given name was Edward Alexander Crowley, hmm. was born October 12th, 1875. You'd have to be an October baby. That makes of course makes right? a lot yeah. of sense. Yeah, no, no, no. Of course, it, it, it wouldn't fit if he was born in like May. Yeah, I don't know horoscope signs, so so don't don't uh, get mad at me for that. I apologize, but I do know months, and October is a spooky, a month. very spooky month. That's right. Yes. We're we're currently in the spooky month. Yes. Um, so he would go on to be known as an occultist, a magician, a poet, a painter, a novelist, and something I actually didn't know, but a mountaineer. Apparently, really? Crowley was very much into mountain climbing and wow. the great outdoors. I mean, I guess that makes sense. There's a little bit of um, there's a little bit of 
heroism or, or, or like a, that's a good point. Something like, that attaches to your yeah, yeah, yeah. It I, makes you I seem the, larger than life. I was the guy who climbed K two. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, one hundred percent. I I actually didn't even think about that. It's a good point because Crowley and most of his uh, quote unquote companions throughout this story uh, are very big on the grandeur. Like they are <laughs> companions. Yeah, companions <laughs> used loosely. People, people that he duped. Right. Well, like people that he do, people that he hated, people that hated him. Mm. Uh, there's just a lot to it. Right. Um, yeah. To say that Crowley, to say that Aleister Crowley lived an interesting life would be, I, I would say, an understatement. The man lived what could be seen as a hundred lives, though I think it would be hard to say that any of them were really lived all that well. <laughs> um, but I want to start out with kind of my view on Crowley going into this, uh, and actually, what I'd like to do is talk about a the book that I'll be referencing a lot here is Aleister Crowley, Magic, Rock and Roll, and the Wickedest Man in the World. Uh, it's written by Gary Lockman. Uh, it's a decent book. It jumps around a little bit, just in regards to timeline and kind of stream of consciousness, uh, hmm. but it is very knowledgeable. It's very uh, in-depth in regards to Crowley, so a lot of what I'm going to be talking about is going to be coming out of this book. So if you want to go read it yourself, um, it's not very expensive. You can find it at most stores, and it's a say a very good read what's the author on that book again gary lockman gary lockman thank you lockman for filling my brother's head with all this information about crowley yes thank you thank you <laughs> um so yeah i just kind of want to start out with my views on crowley um he's a pop culture icon he shows up in a lot of uh, occult work he's referenced a lot but i think at the end of the day what it really comes down to is crowley was a trust fund kid with adhd and a sex addiction um, he was constantly trying to keep his mind occupied uh, and his lust satisfied. Well, that's just starting off with things that I had no idea about. I, I did not know he was a trust fund baby. Well, so, wow. Yeah, so he his father passed away when he was 11, and he ended up inheriting 40,000 uh, pounds. And at the time, 1870, oh, yeah. probably the 70, sorry, 1889 at the time. Yeah. Um, that would have been... Well, that's in the range of millions, yeah. millions of dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so throughout his life, he seemed to spend every waking moment in the pursuit of sexual gratification, uh, and he was willing to manipulate most people around him into helping him do so. He uses a lot of the occult in a way, <laughs> at least from what I've read, what I've looked at, and kind of how I perceived it, he uses the, a lot of the occult in a way to like influence others to either be used by him or use him in a very sexual way um, Interesting. so I, it, it's, it was a lot reading this <laughs> <laughs> and I will say I read a lot of this while I was flying and I'm sure the people next to me did not enjoy it um, Crowley oddly enough uh, or maybe predictably grew up in an extremely religious household his family was part of the Plymouth Brethren uh, a group of Christians that believe the Bible is the supreme authority and doctrine of the church and that everything within the Bible is a literal statement. Do you know if they... I'm assuming they, they didn't know Latin, right? Mm-hmm. Or didn't they? Crowley knows Latin. Really? Yeah. Wow, okay, that's interesting. Crowley's... Well, knew. He's dead now. Um, <laughs> yeah, Crowley's, Crowley uh, read, and wrote, read and wrote Latin. He also knew Enochian. 
Really? Which is the, wow. the language, like, quote-unquote language of the angels. Yeah, 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 of um, course. Yeah, so he, he also knew Anakian, um, wow. Russian. Wow. Uh, well, I mean, again, he did at one point pretend to be a Russian diplomat. Yeah, you got to uh, back up what yeah, you, what you right, claim yeah. you are, right? Um, so, yes, he, uh, he he knew Latin, he knew Anakian, he knew Russian. I believe he spoke German um, and I think one other or two other languages. So he was pretty well-versed. You know... The sad part is he's kind of slightly impressive. Oh no, he's not even slightly. He is <laughs> incredibly impressive. Like the the accomplishments that he achieved throughout his life, even just in the mountaineering mm-hmm. aspect, is is incredibly impressive. He he was one of the first people to uh, climb uh, K two in the Himalayas. Wow! Uh, because at the time uh, you had to be a native to climb uh, Everest, so you couldn't he right. they couldn't go up Everest. His expedition couldn't go up Everest. But his expedition was one of the first groups to go up K2. They didn't completely uh, reach the summit, but you got to think at the time it was the early 1900s. They didn't have all the technology that they have today. Yeah. His group spent 65 days wow. on one of the lower summits. And like wow. at the time, broke world records for the amount right. of time spent at that altitude. Right. So yeah, he's he's an incredibly impressive person. He's also just... A psycho. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess you can be impressive in a psycho, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the mountaineering thing, it actually brings up two completely unrelated things. But I swear I remember reading about someone kind of in recent history that summited Mount Everest with no extra support. Just that to kind of show it was done. Yeah. yeah but I don't so know who or when. So that's very why, interesting because I like how we attribute things that are done recently in history and we're like, yeah, first to ever do it against world record or whatever. But it's like people probably did that in the past. And, and it, make, it brings up my other point that's entirely unrelated. I remember reading about there was a mountain in Japan and these explorers wanted to summit it and they thought that they, no one's ever done it and they've talked to people. Everybody said, yeah, nobody's ever been up there. They got to the summit and there were two swords like in the ground <laughs> hundreds of years old and they kind of just had a harrowing moment of like humbling you know oh, just yeah, like that's like uh, oh uh, yeah we're in modern kind of day and we we got up to this great feat and somebody did it hundreds of years ago with no type of technology or nothing no that's impressive yeah yeah so yeah like like you said he, he's a very impressive man I don't, I don't want what i say to take away from what were achievements of him right um Again, he was a trust fund baby. Uh, he didn't really work a day in his life until later on in his life when he spent most of his money. Uh, but growing up, he really kind of had the easy street in regards to what his responsibilities were and what he had to do to survive. Um, as I was saying, the Plymouth Brethren, a group of Christians that believe the Bible in its entirety is the supreme authority of the doctrine of the church and you know, like everything in it is uh, factual and this this is a uh, rhetoric that Crowley would later use in his own works in his uh, religion uh, Thelma mm-hmm. uh, so he would very much take that same sort of dogmatic doctrine and pr- kind of bring it into his own beliefs hmm. uh, growing up Crowley was a dutiful son to his father describing him as a hero and a friend but after his father's death at the age of 11, there was a turning point in Crowley's life where he became uh, skeptical of his religious teachings, misbehaving at school, acting out in the community, including smoking and dabbling with prostitutes. 
uh, at the age of 11. Is, is that what they're calling it these days? Dabbling, Dabbling with yeah. prostitutes? Is that the term? Dabbling with prostitutes. <laughs> um, his mother would refer to him as the Beast. The Beast. Uh, this is the name that he would actually adopt later in life with great gusto. He would consider, he would call himself the Beast 666. Right. Very much leaning into that uh, satanic uh, mentality. Um, as he grew older, he developed a talent for chess, which he actually went on to beat all of the chess uh, players at uh, Cambridge. Wow. Uh, he developed, as we talked about, mountain climbing and poetry. Uh, most of this started when he attended Cambridge University, as well as uh, a very active sex life and his first uh, same-sex experience. Oh, interesting. Yeah, okay. Which, uh, at the time, I mean, I, I guess I'd kind of always known that, right, like homosexuality has been illegal for, I guess, the past few hundred years. But at the time in England, when he was going to Cambridge University, it was actually illegal to have same-sex uh, couplings. Right, yeah, that was the late 1800s, right? Or Yeah, this, is, this yeah. would be the late, uh, this would be going into the early 1900s at this point. Yeah. Yeah, um, but it did lead him to recognize bisexuality. Uh, it was also where he discovered his interest in the occult. So he picked up uh, the Book of Black Magic and Pacts, as well as the Cloud Upon the Sanctuary. Um, he continued his debauchery, prostituting, smoking, uh, and generally just kind of running against the strict religious upbringing that he knew throughout his childhood. Interesting. So you said that uh, the turning point seemed to be when he was 11 when his father died, and yeah. that's when he kind of denounced his religion almost. Well, We'll get into that. He never actually denounced his religion. He just kind of started questioning the teachings of the good side right. of religion. Okay, and that, that brings me into, like, do you think it really took him that 11 years to, to start questioning? Or do you think there was questions before his father died? Or do you think his father's death really did spur I, a lot of the questions? For, for what it seems like, I really think that his father's death was the big turning point. Interesting. Uh, it seems like prior to that, he was a good kid. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he followed the doctrine of the church to a T. He, he believed everything in the Bible was, you know, that is what the law is and that is how you have to behave. Wow. And it seems like the death of his father at such a young age definitely spurred him on to kind of question those things. That must have been, like, really traumatic because, like, most... Most people that I know of, they, if they kind of question religion, they've almost always questioned it. Well, I, and so I think that must have been really traumatic. At the for same them, time, though, at, at the true. age of eleven, I mean, I don't even feel like I was turned on as a person at the age of eleven. Like I don't think I had the capability of questioning religion at the age of eleven. I mean, we 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 attended. Kiwanis as kids and right. I don't think there was any point during that where I was like I don't know about this whole Jesus guy <laughs> I mean, maybe, well see maybe, well, well, that's my point though what different. what was what what can you remember your thoughts oh like what kind of when I kind of moved when, away from or no 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 when when like like Awanis or or just like religion like what yes. when we were doing those things what do you can you remember what your kind of thoughts were I know See, because that that that's what I mean is I don't feel like I was right. like I don't feel like I was active on the conscious level at the age of 11. Right. Well, I think that's a little bit of my point where like you didn't necessarily buy it back then cuz I think a lot I, of kids I would talk about Awanis and they'd say how they like bought into it and they lived that I way. I think I well, we didn't have a very religious upbringing. 
Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, we we were lucky enough to I think be raised in a very open household in regards to religion because mom is religious. Right. Dad, not so much. <laughs> Dad's. He says he's religious. He's deist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's he's he, he, he it, much. I, I'm deist. Yeah. Believe the belief in a higher power, but not in religion. Right. Right. Uh, mom. I was dedicated to the damn Calvary Chapel. Were you? I was as a child. I was dedicated to the Calvary Chapel, what is that which mean? I think sound it's it's like baptism, but I think it sounds a lot cooler. Dedicated to the Cal- Calvary Chapel. That's awesome. Doesn't that sound like, really cool? Like one day they're gonna call you up and be like, <laughs> exactly. That's what I thought. Like Logan, let's let's go. It's time to perform your duties. <laughs> I, that was my exact thought when I was told that. I, I have like, been dedicated, and now you are called upon, <laughs> brother. Join <laughs> us at the. <laughs> I like that term. Yeah, that's I, you know, it sounds so much cooler than baptized. You know, I think religion needs to just start naming stuff cooler. I agree. Thanks. Um, but yeah, so you know, we, like I said, we we were brought up in a not super religious household. We were not given strict doctrine to follow. Right. So I don't think that we have the same sort of thoughts in regards to in regards to. Yes, I believe this wholeheartedly, or no, I do not. Right. But at the same time, again, at the age of 11, going to Kiwanis, I didn't have a thought of, like, I'm questioning these teachings. Right? And that's what I'm getting at. I don't think at the age of 11 he was questioning his teachings. I don't think... I, I think when his father died, it basically kicked his consciousness on. Really? That, that I mean, there has to be a turning point in everybody's life where, oh my god, I'm conscious now. And to me, I feel like that was for me. I was like fourteen. <laughs> like I feel like I'm fourteen years old. I was like, I'm a person. You're a late bloomer. <laughs> like you know, it's. I mean, what what about you? Like, what do you? Oh man. Um, as far as being a person, uh, I think like however old I was when I was in fifth grade. Fifth grade. Uh, I have no idea. Like nine. Yeah. No, I think older than that. Um, because that's six years of schooling. I was about five in middle school. So, so like eleven. Hey, I'm like Crowley. Yeah, there you go. You kicked on like Crowley did. There we go. Okay, so let's get back into the subject here. Yes. But it's a good question to ask. I didn't mean to go on such a large tangent. I was just trying to ask a simple question. It's it's a good question to ask. And from what I've read, like I said, I I do believe that it was a turning point for him. I do believe that it did cause him to question his his teachings. Um, And I can understand that at a young age, like you lose your father and you're like, that's your hero and your best friend. And why would God do that? Right. right. Um, but with that, uh, like I said, he didn't really renounce his, uh, his his churchly upbringings. It's actually interesting to think at this time with Crowley, uh, he never really turned away from his beliefs of the Plymouth Brethren. He still believed in the teachings. He just decided that he'd be playing for the other team. He referred to himself as a modern-day Christ and consider his debauchery holy sinning. So he he felt that everything he was doing was still in line with the teachings of his church. He was just on Satan's side. (laughs) Right. And I mean, really, if you follow, like, some religious sex, uh, sect not sex oh um, well, we um, <laughs> yeah if, if you follow like some of them i forget which church it is but um you know you can kind of just repent right on for your sins and then you're good right well, so I, I don't think crowley had 
that mindset? I, no, he, his, his mindset was not, I'm going to do bad and then I will, print, will, will repent. His mindset was, I'm going to do bad because it's the bad thing to do. And there has to be a bad to the good. So you think he was kind of adopted a, like a yin-yang kind of chaotic yes. like yeah. view of I, the I, world. I believe so. I believe he definitely adopted like a yin-yang chaotic. Well, not even because yin-yang, yin and yang is not chaotic. Well, the yeah, chaotic like, is the is the yang or yeah, because whatever. Yin, yin and yang is balance. And that's, right, balance. That's yeah. what he adopted was the balance. But my, what I meant was the chaotic part of the yin and yang, the darkness, the yeah. um, yeah. But yeah. So he, he adopted the balance. I would say. Right. So it was definitely an interesting time for him. The time in Cambridge was very interesting. Uh, he did end up publishing his first poetry book while mm-hmm. he was in Cambridge. He self-published 100 copies that did not sell well. Um, and you <laughs> actually see that that kind of I wonder him. why. And that it, his, his poetry is always kind of considered yes and no. There are some people who think it's good and some people who just think it's garbage. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see later uh, within some of these uh, cult orders that he's part of, uh, a lot of his uh, co-cultists... Uh, <laughs> cultist. I like the sound yeah. of that. Uh, much like a co-worker, but uh, in a cult. Cacultist. Uh Did not think that he was all that good at what he did in regards to poetry. Uh, when we get into the magic, that's a little bit different. Um, and this is actually where things kind of get a little bit interesting. We start getting into the good stuff, the real like occult shit. Mm. Um, around nineteen or sorry, eighteen ninety eight. Right, right at the beginning of the nineteen hundreds, right at the end of the eighteen hundreds. Right. This is when Crowley joined the Golden Dawn. The Golden Dawn being a massively popular, well-known cult. <laughs> uh, you can call it a cult. It's an order. It's a it's a magical order that many people partook in, but it was definitely a cult. So he joined a cult. He didn't really make a cult, at least at this stage. At this stage. So he was kind of brought into the cult society yes, before correct. he before he okay, started. Okay, I always religion. thought he just kind of. Did his own thing and no no no. So in in Cambridge at Cambridge is when he really uh, discovered his interest and love of the occult, mm-hmm. um, and then he joined a couple of occult orders, uh, and then later in his life he started his own uh, organization that re- revolved around uh, Crowleyism. 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 Did he name it then? Yes, he did. <laughs> uh, he, he, and we'll, we'll get into that. We'll get into Crowleyism. We'll get into how Crowleyism led into Thelema, um, the Book of Law, the Book of Lies, and all these different uh, aspects of his occult history. Um, and we're gonna, I'm going to go ahead and preface this now. We're, this is probably going to be a two or maybe three parter. A three part uh, for like, sure. Like, like I said, it's going to be a trilogy. Lived, uh, yes, it's going to be my, the, my, my trilogy on Crowley. Crowley lived a hundred lives. Crowley traveled the world. Crowley lived in London. Crowley lived in France. Crowley lived in China. Crowley lived in Mexico, in Mexico City, which seems, it just seems so far disconnected from all these European countries. Uh, he lived in Russia for a time. Uh, you know, he, he was really just a, a, a global person with a global set of lives that it's going to be very hard to try to fit into a single roughly half hour episode <laughs> especially when we're already at roughly 24 minutes wow that's crazy <clears throat> now one thing i think is very interesting when we talk about people like crowley it it, it brings me to um the new jeffrey dahmer stuff that's going on mm-hmm. with like on netflix and stuff do you think we're doing 
Do you think some people are, are, are doing good by kind of learning their history and le- and kind of pointing out that they're not the best people and this and that and the other thing? Or do you think we're doing a disservice to society by almost celebrating these people? I think it depends on the one situation, two, the way it is approached, mm-hmm. and three, the general vibe of the public. Mm-hmm. Right, um, Crowley, for all of his misdeeds, was not a murdering cannibal. Right, right. right? Um, you talk about Dahmer. But he wasn't a good person, though, really, right? Who? Crowley. Crowley. No, he was not a good person. Right. By no means was he a good person. But there's a lot of bad people. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make you a murdering cannibal. Right. Well, I was right. just a serial. I'm murder. just using. No, no. I, 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 like I said, that's why I think it, it goes into situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I also think a part of it goes into time. Right. How much time has passed? Right. Right. In the Dahmer example, literally people who testified against him are still alive to watch that series. Right. Versus, I think everybody who has had interactions with Crowley at this point is probably dead right you know so it's a bit more history than it is true crime right right Uh, so I think in true crime you definitely and with history as well you definitely have to walk a fine line of like entertainment versus respect Um, I think when you talk about Crowley versus Dahmer we can have a lot more entertainment when it comes to Crowley yeah, no, that makes sense. That yeah, I I think I agree with you there for sure. I just I know that like, I I kind of see both sides of like those arguments, and it's just kind of like you know we should learn about the things that went on, but at the same time, you know we shouldn't celebrate like we wrongdoings. But we, but we I, you can learn fine. about it. Yeah, you, you should, can, we you can, can learn, learn about without, it without yeah. without celebrating you can it learn for about sure. Without celebrating or glorifying what they did. Right. Nope. Nobody should look at Dharma and go. That guy's really cool, because <laughs> Dahmer's not really cool. He's a serial murdering psychopathic cannibal. I, I think the problem that people would point out is that by putting these people on a stage, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. a thousand people and that are there that might not have seen him before, or heard about him, they, you know, a thousand people in the place, like nine, you know, nine hundred ninety nine are like awful, and the one dude's like, dang. That dude's right, cool. Let's bring it back. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> but no, good point. Back definitely to the task at hand. The, the, the definitely something to consider. But I do think at, at this level of history, I think we're allowed a lot more entertainment than uh, otherwise. Right. <laughs> so, uh, so let's see. Where was I? Okay. Yeah. So now, we, like I said, we get into the good stuff, the real occult shit. Uh, starting around 1898, this is when Crowley joined the Golden Dawn. Uh, this started with a meeting of a chemist named Julian J. Baker who shared his interest in alchemy with Crowley. I think something that uh, we're going to touch on here is that from here on out, magic is real. Okay. The things that we talk about here, uh, the the actions, the, the, the events that happened are wholeheartedly believed to be magical events by the people involved. So... Uh, we're going to kind of get into some of these things uh, probably a little bit more in the next episode but some of the spells that have been cast uh, some of the uh, demons that were contacted the devils that were the the angels that were talked to um, 
this is all truly believed by everybody within this group uh, and within these few groups going forward. Well, um, I, I think that is perfect for an October episode. Magic is real, <laughs> the Alistair Crowley episode. There you go. That's I, I very like that. haunting. There you I go. Magic is real, the yes. Alistair. That's the name of the episode. Yes. I like that we keep figuring that out during the show. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, so he met Julian J. Baker, who shared an interest in alchemy with Crowley. So both of these people who wholeheartedly believe in alchemy, the goal of alchemy is at the end of the day is to turn lead into gold so you can have unlimited gold. Um, yeah, I've heard of that one, yes. But uh, he would also go on to meet his major rival within the Golden Dawn, uh, W.B. Yeats, or sorry, W.B. Yeats. Uh, and so that's something that's very interesting uh, as the story progresses is his conflict with Yeats and uh, kind of how they continue to clash throughout his life. Um, so within the Golden Dawn, Crowley very quickly took to the occult teachings. Uh, he quickly moved up through the ranks most of what he needed to know to move up in the uh, early stages of the Golden Dawn, he had already learned through his own, own readings. Um, and he go, uh, went on to meet the probably the only member of the Golden Dawn that he actually respected, which was Alan Bennett. Uh, Alan Bennett had a reputation as a magician second only to Mathers, Mathers being the leader of the Golden Dawn. And something I want to clarify here is when we talk about magician, we're not talking about stage magicians. Right. Uh, when we talk about magicians in regards to the Golden Dawn and early occultism, uh, magician was a, a, a title of somebody who could perform magic. So uh, an occultist was somebody who studied the occult. A magician was somebody who used that occult knowledge to then cast spells. Right. So, spells that were real. So right. kind of in today's world these magicians would kind of be like for us like wizards like not yeah magicians. You, exactly yeah. like in You're, our in our today's language yeah kind of. if you want to talk about like modern day lingo lingo these right are, these are magicians these are sorcerers these are warlocks sorcerers yeah, you know, yeah whatever yeah. you want to call them right but they they are casting real magic yeah it wasn't um what's his name David never Blaine. mind no yeah. i was going uh, older but uh, <laughs> the strange David jacket dude no uh, oh, uh god I can't think of his name. He got punched in the stomach and he yes, died. Yes, yes, exactly. Though. Houdini. Yes, Harry Houdini. Harry Gosh, Houdini. good job. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Took a minute to get there. Yeah. I knew how he died before I knew his name. <laughs> okay. Um, wow. Yeah, so he, he goes on to meet David, or Alan Bennett, uh, like I said, second only to Mathers, who was the leader of the Golden Dawn. At this time, uh, he actually decided to perform the ritual, uh, I'm going to butcher this, Abra... Melon or Abramelon ritual, and what this does is this actually gives him his full title as a magician and grants him his connection with his holy guardian angel. Now, this is something that Crowley is going to pursue for quite a while before he actually makes that connection with his holy guardian angel. That's like two wives down the road, uh, his wife becomes a, a, a seer and it gets communicated to his holy guardian angel, and that's when they start forming Thelema and all that fun stuff. Uh, but this is where it starts. It starts just out of Cambridge. It starts as he's joining the Golden Dawn. So what you're telling me is this is where the episode of our podcast starts after we're almost all the way done with the episode of this yes. podcast. The, this is this trilogy is, for sure. Trilogy for sure. This is the <laughs> this is the history uh, yeah. and kind of the build up to the bigger thing. Well, every person needs a backstory. That's we right. definitely got it. Um, so for this ritual to work, uh, certain conditions had to be met. The aspirant, being the person committing the ritual, uh, 
must lead a holy and pure life for six months. This is something that Crowley did not like. Um, the mind must be focused on the soul subject. This is something that Crowley struggled with. Uh, and the they must inflame themselves with prayer and invoke the angel. Uh, so again, this was very difficult for Crowley just because he did have ADHD and yeah. he could not focus on anything for very long and he struggled with being uh, uh, of pure mind and heart. Yes, yeah, that sounds extremely um, arduous just yeah. for anybody, but let alone him. Yeah, let alone Crowley. Yes. Uh, but at this time, he did decide to set up two temples within his flat, and we got to go back to this balance again, one for white magic and one for black. Uh, he said this. He said he did this in order to maintain a magical equilibrium, the balance of good and evil. Uh, I thought a very interesting thing to this is he also kept a skeleton in a cupboard that really? he fed blood and small birds to, as hmm. well as gave tea. So, okay, so hear me out. You're, you you believe all this is real, right? Not you, but just, yeah, just yeah. Crowley or Crow, yeah, this, believes this, all this is real. We're saying all this is real. And he's feeding birds, dead birds, and blood and stuff to this skeleton. Yeah. And he's not able to look inside the cupboard and go, there's the dead bird. The skeleton did not consume this Maybe the skeleton did consume the bird. Oh yeah, magic is real. My bad. No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Magic is real. I'm sorry. At some point, he did look in the cupboard, and he went, that skeleton ate that bird. (laughs) (laughs) Something happened. happened. Normally, I would debate this, but magic is real. (laughs) That skeleton ate that bird. That's why I wanted to put that caveat up front, so we don't have... We yeah. can have a conversation, I'm but sorry, I don't want to spend too much time No, on yes, it. yes, you're absolutely right. Yes, skeletonate uh, that bird for sure. Skeletonate that bird. That's a great t-shirt or something. That's it. That is a great t-shirt. Make, <laughs> make that, brother. Okay. Uh, he later invited Bennett to come live with him, uh, who, who agreed, happy to get out of the squalor living that he, had, he was in with another Golden Dawn member. So I guess these guys are just kind of bouncing around between each other. Uh, one that night, sounds very sexual. It's... I, you know, I don't believe him and Bennett ever really got into anything. I don't anything. think so, but it just sounds there were very sexual. Many, many that he got into it with. Really? Yes. Of the uh, members of Golden uh, Dawn? Yes. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And then members of other ones. Yeah. We'll, we'll get into a lot of that. Right. Um, but so going back to this, uh, he later invited Bennett to come live with him, who agreed. Uh, one night after returning from dinner with Bennett, Crowley found a mysterious magical cat in his stairwell. How he knew it was magical, we don't know. But he does claim to have found a magical cat in his stairwell. Uh, He entered his flat and found that his temple, his white temple, had been broken into and was overturned. And according to Crowley, 316 demons were running around his flat. What type of drugs were at disposal? Oh, dude, this was the early early 1900s. This was everything. Okay. Everything was at your disposal. Okay. And we, I mean, at, at this time, his drug use is not as much as it would be later. Oh, he did get into drugs. Oh, he majorly okay. got into drugs. Okay. Yeah, majorly got into drugs. Okay. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so 316 demons. I don't know how we counted them all. I feel like it'd be hard yeah, to do. Yeah, you know, that's that's a good point. Yeah. I feel like at that point, you almost have to have names. Like, have interacted with all of these <laughs> demons. Like, that's, yeah. Fred. Beelzebub. Yeah. You're not going to have 316 demon names. Beelzebub. Yeah. They're going to run out. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be like, Jim, come here. Yeah, you got all the all the nice Latin names, and then you just get, like, you get John and Jim. Roger. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
fills out the rest of it's the right. like 216 of them. Uh, so after the attack and the leaving of his friend Bennett, uh, who decided he wanted to pursue Buddhism rather than magic, well, Crowley decided that he wanted to move. He needed somewhere more secluded to complete his ritual of Abramillan uh, because he was unable to focus on, where, on it where he was. Uh, this is when, in 1899, he moved to Loch Ness. Oh, there it is. Uh, okay. This is what this is actually before the Loch Ness monster's first sighting, which was in 1933. He caused it. Some have said this that it was, son it, of a it gun. Was, it was Crowley, and and his magical doings at the Loch Ness that opened up a portal for Nessie to come in. Magic is real. I'm buying it. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm buying it. How could you not? Nessie is a demon portaled by. Alex Crowley. Yep, 100%. You said it here first. Yep. I will. Well, other no, people have other said people it. Other people have said it. But we said it on the podcast. <laughs> we said it on, we, we were the ones who said it on this podcast first. Nobody else came onto our podcast to say that before us. And our listeners are vast, so we will we'll definitely get the word around. Yes, of course. <laughs> uh, Crowley started practicing his magical workings, and the spirit world responded. As he started his... Uh, Abramelon magic, shadowy state, shadowy shapes started turning up in Scotland. Uh, but Crowley was again unable to harness these. Uh, they caused him. They caused great mischief, even affecting those around him. His coachman, who had who had abstained from alcohol, became a drunk. A psychic that he worked with in London became a prostitute. One of his workmen tried to kill him. And a local butcher that Crowley frequented died when he actually sliced through an artery. So what I'm getting here is Crowley's bad luck. His dad died at 11. <laughs> a worker he knew tried to kill him. His, the other person he knew became a prostitute. Like, I wouldn't be hanging around this dude. I don't know. He just has to master his magic. <laughs> He, he's messing up too much, obviously. Yeah, Something's he just, he going wrong. He hasn't He's got to master his magic. <laughs> It's a journey, right? No, exactly. I get it. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. a journey. It's, it's trial it's, it's and error. It's the journey, not the destination. Yeah, yeah. it's on. the trials and everything. Love it's fine. It doesn't it's matter. It's difficult. How dare you? I know. Disname uh, me. Disney. Crowley invoked fire angels using Enochian formulas from the Elizabethan magicians and speaking with other angels. Uh, but rather than finishing his ritual and getting his, old, his holy guardian angel, he decided to head back to London and push for his next rate than the Golden Dawn. And this is where I kind of get into that whole ADHD, like, unable to focus. Right. He was clearly doing something. Yeah. You know, the spirits were riled up. He was speaking to angels, and he was like, you know what? I'm going to put a pause on this. <laughs> we're going to go back to London. I'm going to go push for my next rank within the Golden Dawn. Then I'll come back around. We'll circle back around. We'll get back to this holy, this holy guardian angel thing. This, this over here is all cool and everything. But it's not quite working out how I anticipated. So let me go and try and get back to here and maybe rank up and maybe it'll work maybe out it'll better. Maybe it'll work better. <laughs> yeah, so uh, he decided to head back to London for to get his next rate from the Golden Dawn. And he was declined. The Golden Dawn did not like his conduct. They did not like the rumors that had been circulating around his residence at the lock. And one of, his, one of those detractors being W.B. Yeats found Crowley to be an unremarkable and an unremarkable man and considered him to be a man without principle so voted against his ascension wow yeah so he was just flatly turned down 
Jeez, so nobody liked him in the Golden Dawn anymore, huh? I, I don't think they ever really liked him. I, I feel like there was like... There was, so there they was, liked there was him big. enough to bounce around with him, as you say. Yeah, yeah okay. they, <laughs> that, that, that is later, though. That, oh, is, that okay. is when new new recruits start coming in. Oh, okay. Gotcha. You talk about like Bennett and uh, Yates. They were not having liaisons with right. Crowley. Right, right, right. right. Um, but other than Bennett, there weren't really a whole lot of people within the, the London chapter of the Golden Dawn that saw him as much more than a, uh, let's say, whorehound. Uh, you know, that, that's <laughs> do, really how he was viewed. Do you think it was that sentiment, or do you think they heard these rumors and everything, and they kind of viewed him as almost like a threat? Do you think that could be. possibly played um, into it? I mean, it very well could be. There, there were people within the Golden Dawn that viewed Crowley as very powerful when it came right. to magic. Yeah, um, and I, I have a feeling like some of these, you know, members might be seeing him. And consider him powerful and say, like, how is he doing this? He's not even following, like, the arduous processes yeah. that we have I mean, laid could out. Be. Could be. Uh, now, to go into that, Crowley was entirely undeterred mm-hmm. by, by their rejection. Yeah. And decided to travel to Scotland to pre- present himself to the leader of the order, Mathers. Wow. Uh, wearing traditional Highland garb. <laughs> so he's showing up in a kilt. <laughs> uh, and I'm assuming he had, I, I just, in my mind, he had a big plaid hat uh just because he just he was very theatrical and went all out for this and i'm sure he carried a scottish broad oh i'm sure broad brood brogue brogue but yeah so uh crowley requested his initiation mather mathers also at the time conflicting with yates and the london chapter of the golden dawn saw him being turned away as a glowing endorsement wow so decided to go ahead and ascend him Crowley gave the oaths of obedience and secrecy and was now an adeptus minor, an initiate into the second order where the real magic was done. So did he go back to that Golden Dawn or did he kind of stay up in the Scotland Dawn? He does go back to the Golden Dawn. But later, not right now. Not at this exact moment, but it is fairly soon. Oh, okay. Because I'm just, I'm waiting for him to go back and be like, hey, guess what? Yeah, y'all hate me, but... Adeptus Mathers <laughs> says that I'm an adeptus minor and y'all can suck it. Yeah, I, I like that. I, I like that attitude. And that is exactly what he does. Went above their heads. I love yeah, that attitude. Yeah, he's like, yeah. I'm, going, I'm going to the leader. Yeah, I screw, got this. Screw you guys. That's you know, for all things, he believed in himself. Oh, he did. Yeah. Which that that it shows you that no matter who you are, if you believe in yourself, you you can, you can, do, you can do great but terrible things. Or terrible but great things. Yeah. Um, and that's actually where I think we should kind of leave it at this episode, um, okay. right before we start getting into the uh, second order and everything that happens post ascension. Um, we will talk a lot about the uh, sexual liaisons uh, <laughs> with different order members. We will talk about tune in next week for the sexual liaison story of Alistair Crowley. We will talk about uh, his many wives. We will talk about the, uh, like I said, the Crowleyism. Uh, his religion of Thelema, um, some more mountain climbing stories. <laughs> oh, yeah, sprinkled in with all the magic and sex yeah. and all this. You know, he climbs some mountains. Well, That's but, pretty cool too. Yeah. <laughs> I just say the mountain climbing does tie into the magic and sex. So you oh, have okay. to climb to the top of the mountain to do the crazy magic, magic sex. How do you sell a woman on that? Well, or or man, because he was bisexual, right? How, how do you say, hey, we need to climb the top of this mountain, 
So we can do a magic ritual and have sex. And how is that person like? Yeah, sounds right. Well, because also they also believe in magic. Right, magic is real. Magic is real. Magic keep forgetting real. magic is real. I, it's hard for me to remember. <laughs> I apologize. It's all right. Tis the season. It is. Uh, so we just want to thank everybody who listened to this episode. Uh, we did get off track a couple of times, but hopefully it was entertaining. Hopefully you guys come back for episodes two and most likely three. Uh, and then we will see you all again. Well, we won't see you. We will talk to you all again in uh, probably three weeks or so because I'm going to be in Ireland for the next week and a half. Well, I just want to remind everyone, the only reason I am here is to keep us off track. So I apologize for that. Well, the, why are you apologizing if that's why you're here? I guess I won't be here. You're then. welcome for that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Tune in next time, guys. Thank you very much. <laughs>